0: Hey, it's Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them, and welcome to the iHemp Revolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profits. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the IHEMP revolution? My guest today is Ron Alkali. Ron Alkali is the founder of Vital Hemp. Vital Hemp makes hemp clothing for everyday use and living. They introduce people to superior qualities of hemp by producing the most comfortable, healthy and sustainable hemp clothes possible they share a common vision of the world where they choose the best solutions for everyone all living things including our living planet and earth they are part of a growing understanding of the value of hemp as a sustainable source of so many common use items and materials Not just clothing and paper and food, but building materials and bioplastics. Vital Hemp envisions a world where people wear comfortable, affordable, high-quality hemp clothing. Loving it because it looks and feels so good. And it's good for people, the planet, and the environment, too. So, Ron, welcome to the iHemp Revolution.
1: Well, thank you for having me on your show.
0: Ron, can you give us just a little bit more background on yourself and how you started Vital Hemp and just why Industrial Hemp? Sure.
1: So, um, I'm the eldest of three. I grew up in Pacific Palisades. My father uh, was an immigrant from Bulgaria and a scientist and a quantum physicist and helped develop night vision um, here in the aerospace industry. Uh, uh, My mother was um, the daughter of a Polish immigrant who went to Mexico, and she was born and grew up in Mexico, Um, and uh, they met here in Los Angeles and started a family. Um, They always valued education, so they sent me to good schools. Uh, I I went to Brown University and graduated well and would have gone to law school, um, probably. I took the LSAT and did very well, but... I, I I worked at a law firm and I thought you know I don't want to work in a life um, where I start to say subsequent to instead of after and um, I didn't like that uh, law was so much based on prolonging conflict rather than resolving conflict in the quickest most expeditious way possible so and I and I really loved literature so I went to graduate school of literature at UC Berkeley I, I, I my masters in, in creative writing and my PhD in English and American literature with an emphasis in film history. I taught literature, writing, and literature and film history for 10 years at UC Berkeley, San Francisco State. Uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles and I taught at AFI and Loyola Marymount, as well as some other uh, shorter stints in the entertainment industry. And I worked in the nonprofit world for about three and a half years for the Children's Nature Institute. Um, and, and then kind of on a lark, I stopped into a hemp store on a road trip uh, north, San Luis Obispo, um, and uh, encountered for the first time back in 2002 hemp clothing. And I bought a shirt um, and fell so in love with it uh, that I looked for hemp clothing when I returned to Los Angeles and lo and behold found that a hemp store had recently opened here. And I went in, and it was kind of a parody of a hemp store, you know, with the obligatory picture of Bob Marley and the uh, plastic marijuana leaves hanging around the perimeter of the store, but, and the stoned owner behind the glass case full of bongs, and the you know the ratty couch and the smelly dog and the homeless guy camped out on the couch, and and and, and you know the whole place reeked of weed, of course. And but there were beautiful hemp clothing, uh, hemp clothes around the perimeter of the store. So I bought some things, and. And then I returned the next day. I bought some more and returned the next day and bought some more and said something like, uh, this stuff is so great, I just have this fantasy of sharing it with the world. And it's one of those idle comments that you make when you really like something and you want to share it with people. And I had signed uh, this guy's uh, email list and about a week later he contacts me and says, I'd like to discuss the possibility of going into the hemp business with you. Well, at the, at the time, I remember it very clearly. I was sitting at my computer in my one-bedroom apartment in Los Feliz writing a lecture about, actually reviewing because I had been, I'd already written this lecture and sort of amending a lecture on Francois Truffaut. And I had already had the experience several years before of standing at the, lecture, at the lectern and lectern, lecturing about some great film historian and thinking, wow, I'm 35 years old. I am standing in front of a class of 125 film majors. I have a lavalier mic. I have a podium. I have a projectionist. I have three TAs. uh, And here I am giving this lecture. And this is pretty much the same lecture that I'll be giving every year for the next 30 years until I retire uh, with the possibility of changing films. But, But Francois Truffaut will always be a part of film history. And so if I want to be complete, yes, I'll be able to move into the future, but the past is the past. And I didn't want to become like one of those old lecturers that I've seen so often to pull out their cruddy notes and kind of hobble to the stage and read the same thing that they've been reading for 30 years. And so it struck me that I wanted to do something else. And really, uh, what I wanted to do was for the environment. My, My father always told me when I was wondering what to do with my life, he said, Ronnie, don't think so much about what you want to do. So, think about what the world needs and how you can best fulfill those needs well, right after college, i thought oh i don't I, I, I may I think that the world needs literacy and it needs critical thinking and it needs to know how to write better and and I think it needs to be uh, to to read good stories and to be told good stories and to understand them and to appreciate them and so I went into literature and I was in literature and film history for ten years, but somewhere along the line i even though I had been aware of global warming for a long, long time, somewhere along the line that became much more evident, not just global warming, but all the ways in which we were devastating our environment. And so I I decided that somehow I wanted to address those needs of the world, the environmental needs, because after all, all systems depend upon a healthy environmental system, a healthy ecological system. We've tended to think throughout human history that the economic system is the most important system in the world, but the economic system cannot exist in a healthy way, or at all, if we don't have a healthy ecological system, as is shown by, for example, uh, you know, hurricanes that can uh, devastate uh, New York and shut it down and the whole eastern seaboard for weeks or, more, or months and destroy uh, economies that have been built up over decades, or... A uh, tsunami that you know uh, destroys the economy of a uh, of a nation uh, for a while and could potentially have much more devastating effects, or or um, or wildfires that des- destroy the timber industry uh, and bring it to a standstill in the Pacific Northwest. And so there's so many ways in which our world uh, is spiraling into devastating kinds of eco- eco- uh, ecological effects and. And the real test of our generation, I believe every generation has a test, and the test of our generation, and it may be one of, I hope, not the last test of humanity, but uh, it's, it's certainly one that feels like it's grave, and that is to address the global warming issue and and all of our environmental issues because we're polluting our waters, our seas, our, we're chopping down forests, which are the lungs of the planet. Uh, we've, we've eliminated industrial hemp from much of many of the continents, and now that's coming back. So to make a long story short, I met with this guy, and he said, I want to start a hemp wholesale company. What do you think we'd need? I said, oh, I think we'd need a name. I think we'd need a, a website. I think we'd need uh, um, some kind of a partnership agreement to figure out what our roles and responsibilities are. Maybe I'd want an LLC to protect my meager assets. He said, oh, you know so much, I'll give you half. And I said, well, oh, sure, that's very good. Let me think about it. So I talked to some friends who had gone on from Brown to Wharton and gone on to become a successful businessman. I said, what do you think of this? They said, well, be careful who you get into a partnership with because a partnership's like a marriage. you got to know you can trust someone and that you can communicate with them and that you like them because you'll be spending a lot of time with them. I said, well, that makes sense. So I went back to him and I said, hey, you know, I talked to some friends of mine who know a lot about business and, and I've already told you I don't know a lot about business, but uh, here's what they said. So is there anything small that we can do together so that we just see if we get along? if we're on the same page. And he said, well, there's this Green Festival up in San Francisco. I said, Green Fe- San Francisco? Perfect. I'll call my friends in, in Oakland. We can stay with them, and and I'll work the booth with you for free. I don't even want to get paid. I just want to know if I like it. And so we did that. We met. Uh, it's kind of a funny story because, well, he showed up with a U-Haul full of clothes from Oregon, and I was at my friend's place, and we... Ran out of gas on the Bay Bridge, but I said, quick. He said, oh, I forgot to fill it up. I said, quick, roll up the windows, turn off the radio, put it into neutral, and we literally coasted over the Bay Bridge into San Francisco, where, <laughs> I, where I knew where the gas station was, and I ran, and I got a thing of gas, and, and we made it to uh, the Green Festival. And there, uh, we sold a couple of thousand dollars' worth of hemp clothing. At the time, it was all being made in China. He was buying closeout out merchandise from an older hemp company called Juice Natural, that had uh, gone out of business after the principal couple uh, divorced, and, and so they went out of business. Um, but um, I really loved selling hemp clothing, because I owned a, a fair amount of it at this point, and because I knew that when I was selling it, I was giving people something that was easier on the earth, because hemp doesn't use pesticides, and also would last them a long time, and and as we've said in the hemp industry for many, many years, uh, hemp doesn't wear out, it wears in. And, and I really experienced that myself with some of the pieces I had. So I felt good about that. But most importantly, I discovered on that trip at the Green Festival back in 2002, I discovered the green business community. And I'd never really known that this community was a community I, I knew that there were green businesses out there, but they had—they were gathering and they were sharing ideas and sharing passions and sharing products and share and sharing experiences and wisdom. And I felt so at home among these owners of green businesses, from the fledgling uh, solar guys to the fair trade chocolatiers to the superfood nuts to uh, everybody who was there under the in that. Place in San Francisco, and I felt more at home among, in, you know, with their passion and their uh, actually practical solutions than I ever had among my supremely intelligent academic friends, who who I loved speaking with about stories, but also who at times, you know, I found academia exasperating because people could spend an entire dissertation discussing the use of prepositions in in a Shakespeare play, <laughs> and I and I. And not to mention, you know, um, that... So, uh, so I moved, I wanted to move into this area and I thought, you know, no matter what happens with me in this guy, I'm going to be a part of this community. And so we drove home, we discussed our future for what the company could look like and I, I you know, we were both on the same page about wanting to bring uh, hemp clothing back to the masses as a way of reintroducing industrial hemp to... Um, our citizens, because uh, as you know, uh, hemp has been illegal I- either r- really or just in a de facto way uh, for 70 plus years due to misinformation and all sorts of uh, scandalous uh, collusion between business interests and our government to suppress a superior product, to preserve market share for other less superior products such as uh, oil and paper and pesticides and cotton. And, and so um, we had this idea and I thought, yes, yeah, see, I, I want to create it. Let's create a company that's like the Gap of Hemp. It's just uh, accessible, fashionable, cool. Back, I mean, this was when the Gap was a little cooler back in 2002. And that was it. And so we, we, I invested a little bit of money and he invested a little bit of money and we bought more goods and I was out on the road selling stuff. And and he uh, would pay the wholesale margin from his store back into, the, uh, into our account and keep the retail margin. And then um, after a few months, he kind of got back on his feet. When I met him, I, I learned soon that he had a three-day notice, and I talked to his landlord, and we kind of addressed a few things that helped him out there. But I didn't really want any part of the store. We were just building this wholesale thing. Well, he got kind of back on his feet, and then he stopped talking to me. And, and I thought, oh, you know, we're partners, we have to talk, what's going on? And then we received a, a bunch of, st- and we have t- been talking about names for the brand. And he was coming up with stuff like Super Green Hemp, and, um, and one day he says, um, what about ITAL? And I said, ITAL, huh? He says, I'm really excited about ITAL. I said, well, what does it mean? He said, uh, it means natural fiber in Jamaican. And I said, ITAL, ITAL, I like the sound of that. Um, I'm not sure that the masses are going to get that reference, and if we want to uh, reach the masses, maybe we need something that's a little more accessible. And uh, so I'm just rolling the name around my head, vital, idle, idle, and I said, "Vital." What about vital? And he says, "Oh, I like vital." And so right at that moment, it was a proverbial moment when you you take a scrap of paper, or you know, I guess it's the napkin story in many cases, but I, I just took a scrap of paper off the desk and I. I, I, I've i always liked writing uh, and printing and drawing, and so I just wrote the name Vital, and then I kind of had uh, leaves coming out of the top and branches coming out of the bottom, and that became kind of the prototype for the logo that I'm still using today. And so he said, well, I like, And in any case, so we, we settled on Vital, but um, the next shipment that... Uh, we ordered, and when it came in, it had a different name on, on the clothing, and I thought, well, why did we, what happened here? And he said, oh, well, I had this before I met you, and I had some extra tags, and I said, well, you know what, we could have made tags. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, yeah, we've got to talk about this stuff. So when I finally quartered him after not speaking with me for a couple of weeks, I, I said, what's going on? He says, well, I want to do this other brand separately. And I said, I, you know, we signed a little two-page partnership agreement out of the back of a book I found, a NOLO press book I found at the library. I haven't memorized it, but I think somewhere in there is something called a non-compete clause. Why would I want to be in this, uh, you know, with you if you're going to be doing the same thing against me? He says, well, let's let's split up and I'll buy you out. I said, I don't want to be bought out. I'm in this now. I'm invested. I'm committed. He says, I said, maybe we can do it like the Gap where they have the Gap and then they have Banana Republic and they have Old Navy and we can have different brands for different uh, um Demographics. He says, no, I want to do this. my." I said, okay, well, you know. He says, so let's just terminate and split up the, uh, the merchandise. I said, okay. So, uh, so it was a sad day for me because I had no experience in apparel, really. It was one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And uh, suddenly I had 40 boxes of hemp clothing in my garage in Los Feliz and no experience. I called up my friend. I said, hey, what do you think, who's, who's in the green business community? I said, what do you think I should do? He says, oh, call my other friend who's putting together the first... Gr- Earth Day on the promenade. I called her and she said, yeah, you can have a booth. There's still a booth available. Just show up with a check for $125. I said, great. And so i that was Wednesday. The, uh, the festival was on a Saturday. I put ads on Craigslist. I got a man with a van to help me transport it. I went downtown. I bought racks. I bought hangers. I, bought, I made some business cards in a hurry. I, I bought some hemp fabric. I painted a, uh, my version of a logo. And there I was in business on the promenade. And I sold about a thousand dollars worth of stuff, and and then I didn't really know what to do. So next after that, for for about two years, I would go down to the boardwalk on weekends, and uh, just set up a booth on the boardwalk, and and I hire homeless people for ten dollars an hour plus an organic breakfast from Fig Trees Cafe. Even if they didn't at first, they didn't want it. They're just like, just give me the money, and I'm like, no, no, you, you here. You got to buy a breakfast. You can buy anything on the menu, but uh, this is how we start our day. And then they, once they started, it tasted those omelets, they were hooked. But um, in any case, uh, that's how it all started. And I, I became—I went from being a, an educator to a hemp educator. Little by little, um, I just wasn't so satisfied with the styles that were coming in from China. I still have the contacts with the the people who are supplying us, so I would make little changes along the way. And um, say, oh, can you do it in this color? Can you shorten these? Can you shorten the length of the sleeves? Can you change this neckline? And I would draw things, and I would take pictures, and and send them off to China via email, and then write a uh, and then wire money, forty thousand dollars, and just into the void to a woman named Lucy who I had never met before, and cross my fingers and you know hope for the best, and then clothing. Boxes of clothing would arrive and sometimes they would be beautiful and gorgeous and wonderful and just the colors I chose off the Pantone charts and other times the sleeves would be three inches too long or it would shrink two sizes and I would just be devastated and I would have to figure out how to resize things to be able to sell them. And ultimately, I just realized that wasn't such a sustainable way of doing business and I didn't have the resources to be over there in China doing quality control And I also, I kept going back to the Green Festival every year and they kept encouraging me to know more about my supply chain and it was always my intention to go visit. So one year when I did very well at the Green Festival, and by the way, I started to do festivals elsewhere as well, and I discovered other communities that were uh, sort of allied with the green business community. For example, the raw, uh, raw food community, I went to... I was going to festivals at the Harmony Fest in, in Santa Rosa and the Green Festivals and the Hemp Festival in Seattle uh, and, and so many festivals. And then I went out to Sedona to the Raw Spirit Festival in the first couple of years. And even though it was a tiny festival of just 3,000 people or so, we did so well at that festival. And looking out over that crowd, I saw just, you know, even, even though there might have only been a couple of thousand people there at that one point, I probably saw several hundred wearing the hemp clothing, and I could recognize my colors and the way that hemp reflects the light is different from the way cotton reflects light, has a different texture. And I really felt as though my my offering to the community and to the world was being received, and I felt very validated and as though I was on the right track um, by, by creating and sharing these clothes. And uh, little by little, I became a designer. I just uh, got feedback from my customers and I've always liked uh, making things, and color, and and the feeling of things, and comfort, and so I just decided to uh, make the clothes that I wanted to wear, and that, that women told me they wanted to wear, and when we had a child, I made kids' clothes, and little by little, stores would find me at festivals and ask if I did wholesale, and so I would... Say I said yes, and I put together a list of what we sold wholesale, and I would sell sell it to them. And the list of wholesale customers grew. And about six years ago, I placed. I had after having done a a social compliance audit of the factory that I was using on an earlier trip to China, and I decided to manufacture here in Los Angeles. And so it was a a, a whole year-long process of retooling. The line, I had to create new patterns and work with new pattern makers and find cutting houses, dye houses, sewers, you know, the whole thing from top to bottom. And so instead of just relying on some factory overseas to make my goods and showing up once in a while, I was there, you know, every day moving it around, uh, looking at it, learning and learning how to manufacture garments here in Los Angeles. And it's been an incredible education and the, probably the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life and extremely rewarding. And somehow I've managed to find, through a lot of trial and error, top-notch, outstanding vendors, sewers, cutters, dye houses, to the point where people who've been in the industry 25 years, they say, how did you find these people? They, they can't even believe that I found them and that, I'm, that they're working with me. But I found them at a time when they were still Hurting from the wholesale move of of the textile industry overseas. To, I think all along the way, I felt the more I learned, the more I felt that I was on the right path with industrial hemp. I remember one uh, green business conference up in San Francisco. This is something that uh, Co op America used to do before they became Green America in conjunction with the Green Festival. They would bring together all the Leaders of green businesses a couple of days before the green festival, and we would uh, share stories with each other, basically, and share insights and and connect with each other and see if we could help each other and the planet and other people, and of course, uh, you know, make money in the, in the process if, if possible, uh, which which we did. We were able to facilitate things. So I met so a kombucha company, became friends with the owner. I made shirts for him. I met. Uh, John Ruack and uh, of Nutiva made shirts for Nutiva. I made, I met the guys from Health Force Nutritionals along the way. I don't know if it was there at various festivals and made shirts shirts for Health Force. Uh, all the companies who I loved their products and I believed in what they were doing, uh, they loved my products and so we helped each other and that's how it's evolved over time. Lately, I've made shirts for Organic India, which is a uh, tulsi tea company, and they make other kinds of herbs. Of totally organic, really great company, love them, and they sponsor our parties with tea, and and Imlakesh Organics is another company that superfood company We make shirts for them and um, and have become friends with them. So in any case, at at one of these green business conferences, there was a woman from the International Women's Health Organization who gave, she was the head of that organization, she gave what I think was probably the most affecting uh, PowerPoint presentation I've ever seen. It was all about Uh, how cotton, uh, uh, the, the health effects of cotton in the third world, where it's primarily grown these days, because it's so depleted, our North American soil, that we can't even grow cotton in most places of America now, because it's just depleted our soil, so the cotton industry has moved on to other places with more fertile soil, typically in the southern hemisphere. So, this woman was saying, "Well, the cotton is so pesticide intensive, and I knew this, but I'd never actually seen it you know in slides It's just caked on these plants, and what happens is that when the wind blows through, it blows off into the rivers and streams where communities you know they, they so it creates birth, you know uh, abnormalities in fish and and birth defects in in children and and lung disease in in women who are mostly the ones staying at home. but in, and, and so these health effects just mount throughout communities, and it's all because of the cotton industry. And I saw that, and I thought, you know, I'm on the right track. And then the more I learned about hemp, not only all of its uses, but in particular with, relationship, with relation to global warming, I just more and more feel like it's a, a very, very important part of the solution. Um, one of the facts that I learned uh, recently is that for every ton of hemp, that we harvest on the planet, it sequesters 1.62 tons of carbon dioxide. So it's a very carbon negative crop. Um, so th- that's what we want. We're spewing so much uh, carbon into the atmosphere, we want crops that are very biodense. And hemp is a very, very biodense crop. It's It's the most uh, uh, bio-dense agricultural crop that we can plant. It grows 12 to 20 feet high. It, it, it grows 60 to 200 plants per square meter. You can't even walk through a field of hemp. It's so dense. If it's uh, especially certain varieties, but in any case, um, I, I've just learned more and more about hemp, and I continue to share my knowledge. And I feel like it's a, a very important part of the solution. We opened a hemp store. Uh, many years ago, it was a small store, and I would do farmer's markets on weekends and educate people there. And then about five years ago, after moving the line to Los Angeles and having a baby at the same time, I I opened a a larger hemp store on Main Street in Santa Monica. That's kind of our home base and where we meet people from all around the world and share our clothing and ship our wholesale orders and ship our e-commerce orders and and uh, where we conduct business.
0: Fantastic story. Ron, I want to thank you for being a guest on the iHemp Revolution. You can reach Ron at his website, vitalhemp.com, and his email is ron at vitalhemp.com. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in today, and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes and give us a review uh, go to facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution, like us and tell your friends and help spread the word about the IHemp Revolution on Twitter and LinkedIn and all the social media and how in using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet and provide long-term profits. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them and thanks for joining the IHemp Revolution.